Hi, I'm Mike. And I'm Vince. And this is Through the Looking Glass, a podcast where we dissect the emotional happenings of history and their portrayals on the big screen. That is correct. And today, I am told that we have a slightly different episode, uh, insofar as I did not have any prep work to do. That is right. I think that is your favorite type of episode. It is. Where I come to you and say, I have an idea for an episode. You don't have to do anything. Right. And all, all I need to do is sit here and certainly not look pretty, but sound it. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, it is a different kind of episode, uh, so we're not going to be focusing on one movie or TV show or piece of media. Instead, we're going to be talking about how Vikings are portrayed across all media. All media. So does that, so obviously movies and television, does that extend into things like uh, video games or... Correct. We might talk about Assassin's Creed Valhalla, unfortunately. Unfortunately. Yeah. Well, unfortunately in the sense of how it, it portrays Vikings. <laughs> okay. Interesting. Um, I should say that when I say all media, I said it more because we might briefly touch upon the video games and books, but the discussion is going to be mainly centered around movies and TV shows. Gotcha. There's even an opera sprinkled in there for our more sophisticated listeners. Oh, for more sophisticated, yes. Because I'm sure there's a lot of, a lot of uh, listeners here that are also just have a Spotify playlist with us and Wagner's Ring Cycle. Yeah, maybe a little Philip Glass, you never know. I don't, I don't know what that is. I'm not, yeah. I'm not cultured enough. All right, so I figured how we do this is we're going to just take a look at several popular myths that we see in movies, TV shows, like I said, across all media, and how they portray Vikings. Uh, I'll give you a little bit of historical background on those things, and then we can discuss movies, TV shows, and all that stuff after. Okay. All right. And I do want to say that I am absolutely obsessed with Vikings, and I'm sure Vince is already very much aware of that. I am. Um vikings in the historical sense of you know scandinavia but i also really like norse mythology right so we're going to be talking a little bit about norse mythology because it's obviously important cultural for vikings um but i became interested in vikings i think for completely different reasons than most people do okay i was not interested in the image of a viking wearing you know furs all over the place tattoos um, horned helmets horned helmets yeah screaming with axes and just pillaging that always kind of seemed a little generic to me i was more interested in finding out that vikings were not actually 100 percent like that there's a completely different image and i guess the truth is a little bit more boring but that's what drew me to them in the first place okay so my understanding of of vikings and that classic image at least as communicated through my own cultural osmosis, is that a Viking was a profession, uh, and they operated in a similar fashion to swashbuckling pirates. Yeah, we're act that is a great segue, actually, because I wanted to first bring up the term Viking. Right? Okay. So, we obviously, we do associate Vikings with uh, raiders, right? Scandinavian raiders, as you said before, swashbuckling pirates almost. Mm -hmm. So, what's interesting is that we don't know the actual background of the term Viking. There are many theories, many popular, many not so popular. As you said, though, the popular theory that most people subscribe to is that it was a occupation. Okay. So I think the more accurate term to, of who we're discussing would be Northmen or the Norse, right? Right. People that lived in no Northern Europe, in Scandinavia, and Viking people came from all the way from Greenland and Iceland, well... They move there, right? They colonize those locations, but as far west as those locations, all the way to the Volga in the Rus, right? Modern-day Ukraine. Okay. So a wide array of people, and we, are, we know so little that we are just 
a lot of archaeological digs are just giving us fractions of what we know. So how somebody is dressed in like a funeral, you know, like a burial site, mm-hmm. it might be completely different to how they would dress a normal day to day. Okay. If that makes sense. Because like we were basing information off of clothings we're find, uh, finding in burial sites uh, that we found combs, other little trinkets like that. And we are just kind of inferring how mm-hmm. Viking culture would be. So I think it is, it's good to know that we know very, very little, and a lot of this is guesswork. Some of it, not so much, but it's like the United States, how culture in New York is completely different to culture in Los Angeles, right? Right. There's similarities, but there's also differences. Hmm. So, like I said, uh, the word Viking, they thought it was um, originated from the word Viken, uh, that is V-I-K-E-N, which was an area in Scandinavia. So it was a strait that ran between Norway, southwest Sweden, and the Jutland Peninsula of Denmark. The um, Jutland Peninsula. Yes. Okay. So this is a less popular theory, but people do believe this is where the terms originated. So there is actually the feminine term viking, which is used to describe the activity of raiding. Hmm. And then there is the masculine term vikinger, which is used to describe the man who does the raiding. Uh, I learned, though, that being called a vikinger is not complimentary. It's actually kind of an insult. Huh. So what you said before about, you know, being swashbuckling pirates, that right. is the connotation that goes with the term vikinger, and that is not at all what a viking would like to be called. Hmm. They would be preferred, um, they would prefer, excuse me, to be called a uh, dranger, which means like a courageous warrior. There's a lot of information, a lot of etymology with this. Um, there is later Icelandic literature concerning the sagas. We'll talk a little bit about that later. My main man, Snorri Sturluson. Snorri Sturluson? Oh, you've never heard of Snorri before? No. Excellent. All right. <laughs> yep, Snorri Sturluson. We'll Excellent. talk about him in a bit. Um, so this literature concerning the sagas, that's when we start to see the term Viking become romanticized, similar to how it's romanticized today. Okay. Um, so as I said before, I'm not an etymologist. I'm not an expert at all. I will say someone who is, is Jackson Crawford. He is a famous um, academic and scholar on Norse language. He taught at uh, University, University of Colorado Boulder. He taught at Berkeley. He taught at UCLA. Uh, he has his own YouTube channel now where he actually talks about the Norse language and gives a lot of great background information. I actually have his translation of the Poetic Edda. So I uh-huh. used Jackson Crawford quite a bit. And I always, you know, like to cite sources. So if anyone else is more interested in the language behind this, I'd say go check out his YouTube channel. All right. Yeah. And I guess the reason I wanted to discuss the term is because that is really the first, I think, misrepresentation of Vikings is that it's, there's a lot more to it, a lot more nuance than we suspect. And it's easy for groups of people uh, especially people with agendas to use, I guess, this um, ignorance of fact to right. co-opt it for their own gain. So that actually brings me to our next uh, point, which you mentioned before, horned helmets. Okay. So horned helmets originated from the Wilhelm Richard Wagner um, opera Der Ring des Nibelungen. Wait, <laughs> so the horned helmet was literally popularized by... The ring cycle. Correct. Huh. In the 1870s, roughly around that time. Um, It's a popular image that might have been popped up here and then before, but it actually originates in Germany, that Hmm. image. 
In fact, a lot of popular uh, myths about Vikings, at least in how they're portrayed in you know visual appearances, pops up in Germany. Interesting. In the late 1800s, it becomes a little more intense uh, later on, which we will discuss. I think everyone sees where this is going. Right. <laughs> so uh, I just wanted to point out that that opera, uh, Ring Cycle, uh, it loosely adapts characters from the saga of the Volsungs, which is a famous Norse um, saga, right, mm-hmm. from the Prose Edda. Excuse me, um, that's incorrect. It's not from the Prose Edda. It is its own separate piece of literature. The reason I want to point that out is because there is, I, doing this research, I was aware of the Poetic Edda and the Prose Edda, and there is a lot of actually different other sources of literature where we're getting all this information from. But then even when you look at the Prose Edda, there's a lot of discourse about that. But we'll talk about that later when we talk a little bit about mythology. Okay. So, as I said, opera is where all those popular misconceptions pop up. I don't really want to dwell on the accuracy of horn helmets. I'm going to say Vikings didn't wear them. They would wear, you know, normal skull cap type helmets. Everybody knows that it's a little silly to wear a horn helmet because there's a lot to grab onto and it could be knocked off pretty easily. Right. right? And it doesn't balance very well. It doesn't. And what's interesting is I want to bring up quickly, uh, literally Friday evening, I was sent an article uh, where new research suggested that Viking horned helmets that might have popped up during the early Bronze Age wasn't uh, didn't originate from uh, the Scandinavia, Northern Europe area, but it was from other civilizations. Hmm. So before people would say, yeah, there were horned helmets. They weren't used in you know combat. It was more used for uh, rituals or ceremonies and things like that. But right. that might also not be true. Huh. So I think that also goes to show you that this type of research and our knowledge of history is fluid, right? It's going to change from day to day. Right. What I wanted to focus on was why it's important to know um, or to discuss why Germany decided to co-opt Norse myth, right? So that goes back to uh, time, let's see, 1870s, as I said, with the opera. What I didn't know was both England and Germany were trying to claim ownership of the Norse past through art, right? Uh, I'm not going to dwell or discuss too much on that because we have a lot to get through. Mm -hmm. But I will say there is an interesting article by Roberta Frank that briefly discusses this. Again, um, I will link this source in our social media pages, Spotify description, all that stuff. Mm -hmm. But Germany lacked their own heroic age in terms of myth. So they wanted to create one themselves. But instead of creating, why not just take from like an adjacent area, right? So they took from Scandinavia and they changed a lot of how symbols are interpreted and obviously with horned helmets, it changed how we view Vikings Mm -hmm. literally to this day. Right. Huh? So, and that kind of, um, it turns into the Volkish movement, uh, where Nazi propaganda was literally using Norse myth to push forward their own, uh, propaganda, their own agenda of that pure Nordic race. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, Which is um, a history that didn't exist. But again, using, I would say co-opting these symbols is dangerous because it doesn't matter at the end of the day that the SS symbol is two sig runes that, you know, have a completely different meaning. Right. What matters is how the Nazis define that meaning later on. And it's how it's interpreted through their monstrous actions in history. Right. And that's, that is interesting mm-hmm. because... Something that at least I know that might be more broad knowledge is that uh, the title of Kaiser from pre-Nazi Germany uh, <laughs> was adapted from Caesar, correct? which was pulled from Roman 
mythology and civilization. Correct. It, it means king. So right. Absolutely. We see this in examples all throughout history. Right. Some are more damaging than others. I also found out that I can't remember the specific symbol, but the swastika we know has Buddhist uh, roots as well. But it also does have Norse roots in the same vein. And I can't remember what the definition for the Norse was, but it's interesting to note that symbols are similar in different cultures, different civilizations, right? Right. Yep, and we still see this type of, uh, I guess, claim of ownership even to this day, especially with white supremacist groups. Mm -hmm. You might remember the January 6th insurrection. Right. There was literally one of those guys wearing a horned helmet and furs. Yes thinking he was a viking when in fact he was just playing a fantasy character so right and interestingly i actually watched a snippet of an interview with him where he claimed to uh, follow the path of shamanism really yeah he is he's all over the place yeah that but, sounds like it huh but again we see you know this type of claim of ownership all over the place and it's usually ultra right-wing groups usually mm -hmm. white supremacist groups and i thought that it's important to discuss that because I know at the end of the day, you know, if they didn't wear, like, uh, they didn't wear bear skins all the time. Like, that's not important. I understand that. But these perceptions are being used by dangerous groups. And I think it's, you know, yeah, of course, the appearances don't fully matter. But I'm going to always correct them and say, well, actually, Vikings were like this because you want to stop the spread of misinformation. Right. So. So. I talked about appearance. That'll bring me to the biggest inaccuracy we see in Vikings and media, and that is how they appear. Blonde hair, blue eyes? Well, yeah, blonde hair would be one. Brown hair also, red hair. You mm -hmm. know, it's it's Northern Europe. Um, I was talking more about clothing and, like, hair and beards and stuff. Right. I will say that this is my biggest pet peeve, and like I said before, rationally, I know it doesn't fully matter because, again, we're talking about a wide array of people. And mm. as we are very much aware, clothing trends, they do change throughout history. And we're talking about a several hundred years of history here. But, oh, my God, it just really annoys me. I will say the beards is probably one of the biggest pet peeves. Those really, really big, bushy beards, the braids. Mm -hmm. Sure, it might have happened, but we have no historical basis to say that Vikings regularly had those types of beards. Uh, their hair, I found out <laughs> they would usually have short hair on the sides and then longer hair. Um, up front, almost like a reverse mullet. <laughs> so the uh, the Patrick Mahomes? Yes, very similar to okay. Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I had to think for a second. Yep. So I thought it was weird, you know, hey, we're seeing some hairstyles come back, you know? Right. In terms of clothing, this is um, this is actually pretty fun because, let's see here, they would wear tunics usually, right, with trousers that either fit loose or tight. Okay. Women wore a long shift with a suspended overdress. A shift? I think that would um, just kind of be like an under type of Gotcha. Shirt. Like a slip. Yes, exactly. Uh, I could be wrong. If anybody wants to correct us, please do. They loudly would, and violently. Yes, loudly and violently. Uh, violently, maybe not towards anybody else, but maybe towards us. No, yeah, don't mail me anything. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think they have our address. Not yet. <laughs> oh. Um, yeah, they would wear jackets or long cloaks. These are pretty general descriptions of clothing, right? Right. And it's similar to armor. Um, they would, you know, chain armor was for the richest, but it wasn't used often, obviously. It, it's a feared, right? And a feared is a, like a peasant army, right? Almost mm -hmm. like a militia. 
So they're going to come equipped with whatever they have. And most of the times, the weapon that is actually preferred would be a spear. Huh. And maybe a long axe if they had it. Uh, they would have like a hand axe on the side weapon, for like a side weapon. They'd have a seeks, which is a short sword or a dagger. Uh, but regular swords were more used as status symbols, right? So, and those were often reserved for the wealthiest who could afford them. Hmm. So you describe their clothing as a tunic, trousers that are either loose or tight, yeah. <laughs> and a cloak. Yes. So my brain immediately assembled that to mm-hmm. be like Obi Wan, like a Jedi. Oh, okay. <laughs> Um, not quite, but I, I guess I could see where you went with that image wise. It's, it's hard for me because I have the historical images in my head from doing the research. Right. Um, I guess I would say any random medieval peasant from any generic fantasy show you've seen. Gotcha. It would be pretty similar. It's less exciting, but more informative. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> like I said, truth is boring. Um, so I wanted to say that the richest would also, they would wear the furs, linens, silks, uh, Vikings were obsessed with their appearance, so if they had the means to dress extravagantly, they would do so. And on that note, you mentioned them finding combs and yes. things. So one a thing that I have a osmotic or passive knowledge of is mm-hmm. that the image of Vikings as being very dirty uh, is inaccurate and that they were yes. actually well kept. They were. They were, like I said, they were obsessed with their appearances. There are a lot of beauty items have been found in archaeological digs to suggest that it was pretty popular and regular to comb your hair, comb your beards. Uh, interestingly, we have Saturday, which is taken from the Roman god Saturn, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the Norse did not have this. So they had the word, uh, I'm going to mispronounce this, but I'm going to try my hardest. It is called Lager Dogger. It literally means bath day. Huh. So every at least once a week, they would take a bath. You're correct. Interesting. Yep. Which is interesting because the Anglo-Saxons, they weren't happy with that. Uh, they, there's a letter. It's very popular, and I can't remember all of it, but I'm just going to paraphrase that it was a monk was upset because all Anglo-Saxon women, not all, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> That's such a huge misconception. Um, they, they were angry because it was like, these, these Vikings are stealing our women. Are, are wooing away. Yes, Anglo-Saxon uh, women because they, are, they have good hygiene. And that brings us to um, a point that we're going to discuss in just a little bit um, about sources and how a lot of our knowledge of Vikings comes from Christian texts, comes from literally the victims of their raiding, right? Right. So there's going to be a bias there. Uh, But just to sum up with, let's see, appearances, like I said, they were dressed as extravagantly as possible. I want to talk about furs because I said before that it's, it's exaggerated, right? It's not what we see in like the Vikings Amazon show. It's not what we would see in, well, any image of a Viking that you might conjure up in your mind. Right. Um, Their clothes might be trimmed with fur, but again, that's for the wealthy. Um, Common people would definitely have fur trimmed hats, you know, boots and things of that. Mm -hmm. Uh, But if you wore like a big skin of fur, it was for usually the wealthiest person in the area, like the chief or Jarl, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, and it would be for protection in winter, or it would literally just be like a sword as a symbol of status. So, but like I said, appearances, it doesn't matter too much, but I still think it's important. And, you know, it's it's fun because now whenever you watch a Viking TV show, if you're like me, you're just going to, when you see like pitched battle scenes and things like that. Right. You're like, eh, they're, they should be dressed pretty boring. So I have this written down as Vikings as Savages. I do want to say that I am not going to try and dismiss the atrocities that Vikings committed throughout history. 
I do want to say it's just a little interesting to me that we're so focused on having Vikings as this pure picture of like a barbarian. Because do people realize that Charlemagne existed in the same time period? Right. He did a lot of bad things as well. In fact, if you study other kingdoms and areas throughout history at this time, you'll realize everybody was doing bad things. And I know that's a weak argument when we're focusing on one group, but it's just, it's always been interesting to me to see that obsession. And this type of obsession has spilled obviously over into academia. And I'm going to link an article that discusses uh, the discourse between academics and how Vikings are portrayed because there is a staunch pro and anti uh, Viking lobby or camp, I would say. And it's, pretty funny to see them go it's it's always funny to watch historians try to diss one another because it's it's very polite it's very professional but you can just feel the rage surging beneath like that song in hamilton yeah exactly exactly like hamilton (laughs) (laughs) let's talk about those sources right so we have the anglo-saxon chronicle which was written during the time of king alfred the great it is an anglo-saxon point of view it's that perspective right A lot of the sources that we have on Vikings are from French and English clergymen, their primary victims. So we need to realize that there is that bias, right? That slant. And a lot of the Norse texts that we see are written after the Christianization of Scandinavia. So a, a way for me to visualize the bias that might be present in those sources is I'm picturing one of those interwar documentary things from great britain yes of like it's very offensive yeah (laughs) exactly very misinformed it's based on feeling rather than fact right absolutely but of course we don't want to dismiss dismiss these texts because it's all we have right right? uh so there is there's some fact in there but it's very exaggerated what's interesting is that if we are to take um i always forget his first name uh his name is ibn fadlan there's it's three names okay but he was an emissary sent from uh, the middle east and he spent time with uh, the rus right people mm-hmm. of the volga and he did describe them this is a real text on based off a real person he described them as being very dirty and unkempt so these perspectives you know it might be different from a man in the middle east like lavish palaces compared to somebody living in scandinavia from day to day right i would like to take a moment to ask questions absolutely so particularly around representation in the historical sources yes so christian missionaries Mm -hmm. uh or monks and things of that nature were the ones writing these sources yes the monks yes and were they externally published see that i'm not 100 percent sure on I think it was more, it was available to the church and it was available to other, I guess I would say men of letters, people who could read and write. Mm-hmm. Obviously, if your king comes by or a nobleman comes and says, I want to see these texts as a monk, you can't say no, right? right. Maybe if you're higher up in the church, you could refuse for some reason, but it's not going to hurt anybody to show a king why these, you know, why these heathens must be stopped or killed, right? right. And even if people couldn't read, like in a farm, right? Mm-hmm. these people who could would be probably reading these types of texts out. They would be spreading this image. Right. Not necessarily standing in the, like a village square reading from the letter like, yeah, so um, Ethelwald from, you know, Sussex. I just picked two random English things out of my hat. So so the the image in my head that I'm trying to, to figure out if this is close or far from is the original story of T.E. Lawrence. 
and how that came into vogue and that spawned Lawrence of Arabia episode coming soon. Um, <laughs> because that was uh, originally a correspondence reporter that spent time with T.E. Lawrence who wrote down what happened and then he went to America, punched it up and delivered a series of lectures on it. And that made the Arabian Peninsula seem like a sexy place to be Yes, because of T.E. Lawrence. And that actually spawned a small cultural boon in movies uh, called um, Sand and Sun movies, okay, where they were movies with white protagonists that took place in the savage lands of Arabia. Oh, wow. Um, so that actually, that started a lot of the cultural images that we have of the, the Middle East and that region of the world because of the self-aggrandization of that reporter who made the story a little bit more fantastical. Yeah. T.E. Lawrence really blew up train tracks and stuff, but he didn't single-handedly defeat the Ottoman Empire. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I would say it's pretty similar. Uh, again, it's it's a great it's a great question that I don't have all the answers to, but I think it's pretty safe to say yes, it's pretty similar. Um, which actually brings me to somebody I wanted to talk about. He was a Danish historian. His name was Saxo Grammaticus, uh, and he wrote the uh, it's Latin now, Gesta or Gesta Danorum, which was the first official history of Denmark. But very similar to what you're just talking about, it was it was a mix of mythology and history. It was, as a historian described, a product of his time and his mind. It's almost like a nationalization of trying to build your own national myth, right? Mm -hmm. And in the similar sense, we have Snorri Sturluson, who I mentioned before. So Snorri Sturluson was an Icelandic poet, historian, and he's most known for his supposed authoring of most of the Prose Edda, which is our major source of Norse mythology mm -hmm. and early Scandinavian history. So again, this combination. It's, it's difficult because... You're reading stories about Sigurd defeating the dragon Fafnir, and then later on you're reading about, you know, how he's related to, you know, kings in Scandinavia that actually did real historical things, and you're like, wait, what? So, I would actually like to pause on that as well. Yep. So, you've mentioned the prose and, and uh, poetic Eddas. Correct. What is an Edda? Edda, as far as I'm aware, looking it up, is a, I think it's just like a collection of uh, literature. Right. So, the... Prose Edda is concerning the sagas. It's a straightforward narrative of different families, usually. Mm -hmm. The Poetic Edda is, as it says, it's more poems, collection of poems on Norse mythology. So it would be reasonable to draw a parallel with the Bible. Absolutely. With Old Testament being more out there, poetic. Okay, yeah. New Testament being more straightforward, but they are both a collection of stories from different authors. Correct. Uh, and many of these authors we are unaware of, so... A lot of the poems and uh, the stories that uh, Snorri organizes, he did not author all of them. Um, he arranged them. And it's important to know that he was Christian himself. Okay. So a lot of similarities that we might see between these Norse texts with Christian texts, right, and others is very much on purpose. And there's gotcha. still a lot of academic discourse about that. I'm not a theologian, so I'm not going to even dip into those waters, but... It's definitely important to note. So the original language that the Eddas were published in, mm -hmm. was that Latin? I think it depends on the writer. It would be Icelandic. Gotcha. Um, I'm not 100% sure if it was, if they attempted to write it in Old Norse. It was translated definitely numerous times. And in fact, there was an Icelandic codes that contained a lot of these Old Norse poems. It was called the Codex Regis. Uh, so it's the sole source for most of these poems. I believe those were written in Old Norse. What's interesting about the Codex Regis 
is based off of its name. It's most likely Latin, right. I would believe. Uh, a lot of famous authors, they say they owe a debt to the Codex Regis, Codex Regis because it inspired a lot of their famous works. Um, one of the most famous authors who says he owes a debt to it is J.R.R. Tolkien. Ooh. I said that specifically for Vince because Vince is the biggest Tolkien fan I know. I am professor of Anglo-Saxon at Oxford University. It would make sense that he's very familiar with that particular work. Absolutely. And we see a lot of uh, Norse myth spilling out into Lord of the Rings. Mm -hmm. If you read the first poem in the Poetic Edda called the Luspa, it uh, literally goes through a list of names of different dwarves and beings, and Gandalf is on that list. Most Mm -hmm. of the dwarves from The Hobbit is there as well. So you can see where the inspiration comes from. Quick tangent on that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Gandalf's image of the Grey Wanderer, or Mithrandir, as he is called often by the people of Gondor in the books, uh, (laughs) is directly based on Odin. Absolutely. Uh, and Odin's man form of an old man in a gray cloak that would go around and uh, give advice and stuff like that. Share his wisdom. Right. Absolutely. You know, it's like it's such an easy spot, but I didn't realize it until you just said it. That's so cool. Yeah. it's He's the direct pull from Norse mythology. Wow. Because the Lord of the Rings, as you might know, um, was started, the original poems were started to make a mythology for Britain. So when you talk about history being, uh, the history that we have being part memory, part myth, part made up, that is the same sort of thing that Tolkien was pursuing, only he was not lying. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) He was just making it up for uh, an an emotional basis for the history of the British Isles. Absolutely. I knew a little bit about that, but the rest, wow. I guess that's one way of uh, using history and mythology in a positive way. Right. Right. One of the most important texts of our time. So th- we talked a lot about history, obviously. A lot of that information I can go on probably for hours, but it would it, a lot of it would be based off of my own information, which is definitely lacking in areas. I do want to switch and talk about some movies and TV shows. Excellent. Uh, so I th- I'm sorry, I'm thinking of Wag- uh, Wagner again with um, The Ring Cycle. Mm-hmm. My mind immediately tries to jump to saying the German pronunciation, but switching back and forth, trying to be as accurate as possible, Definitely throws you off. Right. So how he informs us, or not informs, but shows us those Viking horned helmets. What's interesting is that uh, the Kirk Douglas film, The Vikings, from 1958, popularized the idea of Viking funerals, putting people on boats, setting them off to sea, and then setting them on fire. Is that real? That is not. To an extent. That's heartbreaking. To an extent. Okay. Those types of cremations did happen. Like with a, a pyre and things? Pyre, um, sometimes with a boat too, maybe a cart or a horse. I've heard in a couple of sources. Not sure about the horse. Okay. But boats, most likely carts. Uh, the cremations would be head on land. So you would dig um, a hole, put the boat in there with the person, and then Oh, okay. Yeah. Things of that nature. I know it's really cool to set somebody to see, you know, set them on fire. Things like that. We even see variations of that with Lord of the Rings movie with Boromir, right? right. Cone of the Waterfall. Yeah, that is unfortunately a product of Hollywood and their grand vision. It's that's That doesn't bother me as much. It is cool to see, but it is an exaggeration. Mm-hmm. Right? So I will say I got the idea for this podcast, maybe not the podcast itself, but this episode, I should say, um, a couple months ago when I was just really diving into um, Viking history again. Mm-hmm. Uh I really got into gear with moving forward with this when I watched the trailer for The Northman. Right. Robert Eggers' new coming movie. soon. Abs- absolutely. 100%. <laughs> uh, 
What's interesting is that I did forget to mention that in the Gesta Danorum, written by um, Saxo Grammaticus, contains the legend of Amleth, which is the inspiration for William Shakespeare's Hamlet. Huh. And the Northman is going to be based heavily on the legend, the original Scandinavian legend of Amleth. Gotcha. It's not going to be a straight one-to-one you know, comparison, but very much inspired because, well, Scar- Alexander Skarsgård, is, his character's name is Amleth. So. There you go. Um, so I thought that was pretty exciting. Um, I read an interview with him that it just made me fall in love with Robert Eggers even more. I love his process <laughs> when it comes to replicating uh, the time periods that he's trying to represent. Right. He did an amazing job in The Witch, we've discussed before. Uh, the Lighthouse is obviously not as historical, but it does play to take place in a historical time. Mm-hmm. Is fantastic as well. He does a really good job of making these stories... like bringing folk tales to life. Right. right. And he seems to be on track doing that with the Northmen. So I'm very excited for that. Um, we will talk, hopefully talk about that in the future. However, uh, the 2013 TV show Vikings from the history channel mm-hmm. is probably one of the most painful experiences I've had in my life. One of the most painful experiences you've had in your life. That's easily an exaggeration, but <laughs> it felt like that during the time. I watched... Quick question before continuing. Yes, The sorry. Amazon show Vikings. I think it's... They just have distribution. Because I watched it okay. through Amazon, but it did start off on... It is a History Channel TV show. They're gotcha. on production. Okay. So maybe distribution. Yeah. I watched two seasons of the show. I should say I hated the show when it first came out. I hate's a strong word. I'm going <laughs> to use it anyways. I, I really do despise the show. I think people should be aware that it's because of a lot of the inaccuracies. Even as a TV show, I would say it's fine. It's entertaining. I'm not going to judge it based off of that. That would be more Vince's area, but he has not seen the TV show. I have not. And I think it's pretty safe to assume that I've known Vince for a long time. I don't think he would enjoy the show either. Okay. But what I hate the most about it is not them wearing, you know, Viking furs and, you know, the appearances being exaggerated. They're taking real historical characters um, and events and they're just kind of doing their own thing with it and it it feels a little insulting but it's just more confusing it's like if napoleon bonaparte teamed up with winston churchill to fight the soviet union during the cold war okay so maybe not quite that far but still enough where when you're watching the show and they're referencing a character i'm like oh he has the same name as this noble dude he's probably just a different person with the same name but but it's the same guy it's the same guy a hundred percent it's frustrating Donald Logue is in the show, and he plays a Viking king. Hmm. And I expected to hate his character, but I was like, ah, oh, Donald's doing, he's doing pretty good. Quick aside on that. Yeah. Uh, San Jose Sharks defenseman Brent Burns uh, made his acting debut on the show Vikings. Really? Uh, yeah, he has a huge beard. <laughs> okay. And he actually had a haircut with the sides shaved and the top a little bit longer. Okay. But being a hockey player, he's missing most of his teeth. So he took out his fake <laughs> teeth to film his scenes. And he did a fine job from what I've read. Well, that's good for him. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure. Like, it's, the show's not 100% terrible. I will say Tra- Travis Fimmel, who plays Ragnar, uh, the main character, he does a pretty good job. Everybody says that he did a, he, his performance was like a masterpiece. I don't see it that way, but I definitely think he was the main draw of the show. The, the show is about his character, Ragnar Lothbrok, who is very much um, a myth. There might be historical basis for someone named Ragnar Lothbrok or 
but it's it's more of a comp- composition. And I'm, I recommend everyone Google's an image yes. <laughs> of Brent Burns. I, uh, Vince just showed me an image of him, and hey, that I'm not sure if I saw him, but that image definitely rings a few bells. <laughs> right. Yeah, like I said, I watched only two seasons of the show. I did not appreciate it just because it was it was very exaggerated. It went just full into all these misconceptions, and it was trying to create a fantasy version of Vikings that we're all used to. Mm-hmm. And Vikings are definitely fetishized all the time. We talked about how in The Last Samurai, the movie fetishizes Japanese history and culture. Right. It's literally trying to get people excited about a past that doesn't exist. And we talked a little bit earlier about how that can be dangerous. Right. So Vikings, maybe less so, but I guess the most annoying thing about Vikings, the TV show, is that a lot of people that do love it are those annoying white supremacist groups. Right. But the show, from an equally cynical but a little bit more innocent perspective, (laughs) uh, the show started in 2014, which was season five of Game of Thrones. I can't remember. Twenty. It's 2013 when Vikings started. Okay. Well, 2013, which is, so that's like... Season three, season four. Yeah. So peak Game of Thrones. Red Wedding Game of Thrones. Yes. And it was on the History Channel. Yes. So gimmick of that, Game of Thrones, but it really happened. Yes, absolutely. I'm I'm glad you brought that up. I did want to mention that. That's that's definitely the vibe of the show. I'm sure that's what they were going for. Mm -hmm. Which, like I said, when the, the show's about Ragnar Lothbrok... You immediately are going to go, okay, this is just more of a historical fantasy than anything. It's fine. But they try really, really hard to make it as grounded as possible. Right. And it's it's not. <laughs> as real as Pawn Stars. Yeah. If you've ever spent significant time in a pawn shop, you will appreciate <laughs> that. If you haven't, you might not know what I'm talking about. <laughs> go to a pawn shop. Spend like six hours there and <laughs> just see what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. Just have, have fun in a pawn shop. Before I move on from Vikings, I do want to say that the fan favorite character, uh, Floki, who is portrayed by Gustav Skarsgård, he's a fan favorite. I just want to say, I don't know why. If someone could explain to me why you all (laughs) like him so much, that'd be great. Everyone says, yeah, he's a terrible person, but he's played really well. I don't think he is. He's just kind of, it's it's like Viking Joker to me. Oh, God. Absolutely terrible. (laughs) Man, the the phrase Viking Joker just made me puke in my mouth a little bit. (laughs) I'm glad, right? Because it's, it's annoying. But anyways, yeah, maybe if you want to explain why. If you don't, that's fine too. I, life will continue on. Uh, the same vein of a more, sorry, not more, but also an inaccurate show would be The Last Kingdom, which started mm-hmm. off as a BBC production, but then moved to uh, Netflix. I should say I'm a, I'm a big fan of The Last Kingdom. It is an entertaining show. It is based off of the Saxon Tales books by Bernard uh, Cornwell. Bernard Cornwell is a very fun author. He makes uh, historical fiction that is more dedicated to sticking to the history, but he dev- he has admitted 100% just like, oh yeah, I do what I want. He's like, I try to you know follow the timeline, but it's like when you're looking at a timeline, this event happens, this event happens, this event happens. How it gets there, what actually happens in between is a little bit different, but it's mm-hmm. still that same result. You're still going down that train, right? Right. And... It's it's enjoyable to me because they do try very hard to make it as representative of the times. So The Last Kingdom has a huge focus on religion, the difference between Christianity and, you know, Odin, Thor, all that. Right. I will say, a point in fairness, Vikings does that as well. And it was one of the more interesting plot points. For people who have seen the TV show, I will say Ethelstan was my favorite character. 
but going back to the last kingdom it is the main character um he is utrid of bebenberg he is a saxon who is kidnapped or taken by um the danes the vikings right when he's a young boy he's raised among them and then as an adult he has to choose between where his allegiances lie very entertaining show i guess the leather armor and the furs really annoy me in a big way right (laughs) but for the most part it's a pretty solid show and how it represents i guess the mysticism is really interesting because robert eggers brings up a good point is that you are trying to portray how they would see the world right Mm -hmm. so um a crow or a raven sitting on a tree watching a battle could be interpreted as a good or a bad omen right Right. odin is watching thunder in the distance right so how they deal with that is i think is very cool very interesting that's another reason why I wanted to make this episode was because when I looked up, I was interested to see like top 10 movie lists, uh, books and stuff of the best Viking material out there. Mm-hmm. Most movies included t- the 2011 film Thor <laughs> based off of the Marvel character. Wow. They included how to train your dragon, which is a cute movie. I love how to train your dragon. Right. Not representative of historically accurate Vikings mm-hmm. uh, and the movie Outlander. Huh? <laughs> so, when you have those movies on your top 10 Viking lists, um, you know, there's an issue there. And yeah, there's really not a lot in terms of video games and high fantasy. I don't see many accurate representations, but that's fine for me because they are, it's like you said, it's high fantasy. Right. They're not tied to historical realism. They're just taking things and they're rolling with it and they're doing their own thing. So, and it's, that's completely fine. Right. Um, I would say the most accurate in terms of the material world for Vikings, is the 1981 Icelandic film called Utlagen, which means outlaw. Uh, it's the saga of Gisli, which is an actual saga in Norse texts. Mm-hmm. Um, I was actually turned on to that film by Robert Eggers. He was doing an interview about the Northmen, and he oh. mentioned this film, and I went, oh my god, how could I forget <laughs> You know, Scandinavian films about this? Right. Um, it's not really a good movie. It's it is accurate, 100%. It is the most accurate film, um, like I said, in terms of like material world, you know, clothing, things of that nature. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, it's low budget, and it's, it's, it's okay. It's fine. But I feel like there's some pretty interesting stories that we could tell because people love Norse mythology. People love Vikings, as right. we can see. Assassin's Creed Valhalla came out October 2020, and it was a, the best-selling game in the Assassin's Creed series. I did not know so, that. Yes, it, it it did very very well. People have mixed feelings about the game. Obviously, we're not going to go into that. Right. It's very inaccurate though, as well. <laughs> so, an in- interesting thing that just kind of occurred to me about that. Mm-hmm. Um, you say people love Norse mythology, and we we say that following this whole podcast so far about what we know popularly about Norse mythology and yes. Norse history not being fully accurate. Mm-hmm. So there might be the situation wherein the Norse mythology that people love mm-hmm. exists in their heads and in media. Okay, yeah. So the stories that we could tell from history mm-hmm. might not be well received because the people who would be interested in them have, from their own you know, experiences with, with media in the past would not recognize it. That's a good point. Absolutely. So it's a mythology unto itself that exists yeah. in the popular conscience. Absolutely. I think it just ties back to the whole crutch of this podcast. Do these changes actually matter? Sometimes they can. 
when you know the Nazis try to mobilize it for their propaganda machine. I'd say, yeah, that matters. When white supremacists do, yes, absolutely. When Vikings TV show is a little out there and fantastical, that's fine as well. Uh, there is obviously a line to be drawn from when you're representing someone like uh, Harold Fairhair, the first king of Norway, right? If you're trying to do a story about Thor and Odin in Norse mythology. Right. That is a great point, though. Absolutely. So, in particular, mm -hmm. I think that these changes would matter a good bit mm -hmm. because we are talking about a collection of peoples that underwent what is essentially a cultural genocide. Okay. At the hands of Christianity. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean... I'm not going to cry over lost heritage, especially, I mean, I don't have any of this in my bloodline, and I have the luxury of knowing what my bloodline is, but this is a people, historically, mm -hmm. that no longer exist as they once did. Yep. There is the Elder Uthark that is only partially deciphered, and yes. things like that, so the more inaccuracies that are allowed in the world and in this collective consciousness, the further down is the grave dug of that culture. As always, Vince is coming out and dropping some truth. A hundred percent. I think that is a, it's a great place to wrap things up. We talked about a lot. I know there's a lot for people to dissect. If you're still with us, hopefully you enjoyed this. It's a topic that I love to discuss. Maybe we'll see more Vikings in the future, probably with the Northmen. Right. Um, maybe more with Norse Smith. I will say, Real quickly, uh, Valhalla Rising, starring Mads Mikkelsen, is definitely a great blend of mythology and historical realism, I guess I would say. Mm -hmm. More mythological. Check that movie out. Check out Utlagen, because it's always good to watch foreign films. Right. Uh, and there is, I can't remember his name, but in the same vein of Utlagen, there are what they are described as cod westerns. <laughs> so like Viking western movies right. from Iceland and Scandinavia that are pretty fun. Check those out. A lot of the sources that I used are going to be posted in Spotify, our social media pages on Twitter, uh, Instagram. So if you are interested in any of those, check those out. And until next time, see you later. Thanks.